0: Welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Someru. Hey everybody, this week I'm joined by Vishal Varani. He is a doctor by background and now working in digital health. So, after spending a couple of years in the NHS, Vishal spent some time in healthcare strategy consulting. He then, moved into digital health, working at Ada Health, which is an AI-powered symptom assessment technology, which I'm sure a few of you will know. He's now developing digital health innovations for RB, which is a big company that owns brands like Nurofen, Gaviscon, and Urex. He's now also a co-founder of Doctrepreneurs, which again, I'm sure some of you will know is a a big global community of healthcare innovators. So hope you enjoy this conversation with Vishal. Vishal, welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. How are you doing, mate?
1: I'm good, James. Nice to be here.
0: You're very welcome, sir. So whereabouts are you speaking to us from today, Vishal?
1: I am speaking from uh, from North London, so working at home, uh, as is I guess the privilege. Yeah, of people who've, 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 who've left medicine? So, uh, yeah, I am. Uh, yeah, just just in my living room with the little one in the background.
0: Nice. Quiet. So. <laughs> I've got you on video for all the for all the listeners, and you've got some glorious curtains going on, mate. Very opulent, very opulent <laughs> style. <laughs> this,
1: this 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 is the in-laws. So we're staying actually with the in-laws at the moment. So nice. since we came back from the US, we've been with them. Um, A bit of childcare, mate. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. with the two little ones it's helpful so yeah
0: I think they do like quite opulent look uh, with curtains <laughs> and, and, and various other things in the house so yeah <laughs> nice um, cool man so the way we start these podcasts is we get you to tell your story now I know that you've you've had a really interesting background in the health tech space you've done lots of different cool things you, you're doing lots of different cool things and so I think your view of kind of the health tech ecosystem is probably a unique one based on all the different vantage points that, you, that you've had but I think it'd be great for our listeners if you could tell us a bit about your story mate
1: yeah I guess you know I started off in the medical world and so was at UCL med school uh, back when to be honest and you know I think we were at medical at similar times it wasn't really a thing to uh, explore different avenues and, and you know look at some of the med students now and it's just incredible what they're doing you know you've had a bunch of them on your podcast as well and it's just fascinating you know when I was at med school I did very typical medical things you know I played a bit of sport um, did a bit of a bit of you know the, the usual things really and so i would not say in any shape or form that my interest in health tech came from being a med school to be, to be honest uh so i'd, I'd agree just they, to jump
0: in i'd actually agree with that i actually think my med school experience was i would say easier because i had no pressure to do anything else <laughs> like yeah. i didn't yeah I, I kind of i'm almost I, I feel bad for some medical students that that often come to me and just say That they they need to do something in digital health, they want to do something in health tech, like they that, and and kind of I'm just like, oh man, like I feel bad, like just (laughs) just go out, do some sport, like as you say, like yeah, but but different time, different experience. I think it's a long time now, eh? What like 15 years since we went to med school? Yeah, exactly,
1: exactly. Times have changed. No, it's interesting. I mean, yeah, I guess that you know, I I think there's lots of pros to what's happening now with med students, and, and they're sort of. The, their zeal for getting involved in so many things outside of the curriculum, but it is of course also putting a lot of pressure on those who are not quite doing it. You know, an inferiority complex, whatever it might be. Yes, yeah, so it's an interesting way to think about it. But you know, and a competitive I
0: guess, bunch for that for those sort of complexes yeah, yeah, to arise. Exactly. <laughs> but-
1: but, you know, your story, and my story, various other people's stories, I guess, hopefully highlight that you really don't need to. So, of course, it's nice. But actually, the journey into whatever you're passionate about can come at any point in your career. And so for me, I certainly pursued things I was passionate about in med school. But it was more things like, uh, you know, started, uh, we ran a global health magazine, for example, and different things like that, which was sort of a hard copy magazine, which is also a little bit of an antique. These wow. Days, yeah. certainly wasn't, <laughs> Have you certainly still got a few copies? Focused. I do. Yeah, yeah. It's nice, nice to look back at them. And even now, I quite like to look at hard copy things and you know just as a, a as a side thing there's, there's a couple of really interesting health tech magazines out there which uh should I read? There's one out in the US called Start from Startup Health, which is a sort of incubator. But they've got yeah. a really nice magazine. And uh, so yeah, sometimes some of those older school things are nice. But anyway, med school was um, med school was 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 good. And then I did my F1 and F2. And even during F1 and F2, just did the usual things. Really, I didn't do anything uh, particularly unusual. Uh, I then always thought I'd want to be a GP. So I did four months of my GP rotation. Actually, what I saw is what the partners were doing was actually quite similar to what I was doing as an F2 of course they were doing it faster Um, and I think this is where you when you're a bit younger you don't quite understand all the nuances and and the reality of people's jobs you just see what 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 you see on the surface of it and I made a decision at that point that maybe being a GP wasn't for me uh, but I didn't know what was so I just wanted to explore you know this idea of being able to having more than one answer to a question is something that i start thinking about a little bit when my f2 it's like the things were so protocol driven in medicine quite rightly so but it can be frustrating and constraining at times and it's not necessarily that i'm a creative person but it is nice to think that there may be multiple answers to a question and so i then said well what else is out there so i you know i, I would say quite generically decided to go into management consulting because that is still now what a lot of medics will do when they leave um and it, it, i guess to, 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 for a lot of people it's a master key which then opens up a lot of doors potentially that's a really uh, but good term by is... the
0: way master key but, yeah <laughs>
1: Yeah, so in theory, right? So, you know, can certainly, we can certainly dig into the realities well, of that. I, and then, you know, yeah, sure. there's the
0: evidence of it being in practice, practice too. Yeah, that does, that, yeah. You know, the people springboard onto a lots of different cool things.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely, they do. They do. I think what I've then realized is that you do need something, some type of industry experience alongside the consulting. Otherwise, it can be hard to land a role, especially now when there are quite a lot of medics turn consultants out there so you need to even now set yourself apart from that group of people to, to if you want to do something in health tech let's say but yeah um I did the whole management consulting thing, thing for four years and I really enjoyed it actually so I think I was quite lucky because I ended up joining um a boutique um firm and there was only like well I was employee two there there were two partners and then there were two of us and that's how it's remained for a while and we were sort of hiring space from a from a, from a media company Uh, in Soho and so it was very much quite startup-y actually and uh, you know we then grew a little bit and we had some space in the King's Fund and that was nice because it's nice to be in and around the King's Fund Um, but but, you know worked on some really interesting projects there again not very health tech focused All there was one that was a health tech project but the vast majority were basically healthcare services projects and what that experience did is it opened up my eyes up to the business world uh, to understanding what a PNF is, to understanding about profit, EBITDA, um we should have to go to sorry i don't don't mean to use too much jargon but you know also this idea of of how do you grow a business, and and then I guess what you also realise is a lot of things that you may do in the business world or in consulting overlap with medicine, because when you're trying to break down a business problem, it's actually quite similar to breaking down a patient's diagnosis or a case. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to sort of be very cliche, but it genuinely is true actually. And I think that's probably why a lot of doctors do reasonably well in consulting. Um, and communication skills are, are quite important. So your ability to sort of convince and influence patients' decision making and working with colleagues in the hospital ends up being quite an important part
0: of consulting where you're sort of going Dude, out. Dude, I, I, I totally agree with this. I, I, think, I think for people listening that, that, that are, are, might be worried about transferable skills, as you've yeah. pointed out, so much of it is actually transferable. The, the example I often use is, is you know, the, the person in your team that you'd always send to the radiologist to get your scans done first, they're just excellent in sales like they just are probably just very naturally very good at sales because they can sell their patients, the radiologist. And as you said, yeah. those, ex, the, <laughs> those examples there, you know, it's, it's similar. Like there's there's a lot of transferable skills out of medicine. So yeah, I'm not surprised by, uh, by that experience.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, for, for the clinicians that would be listening, I'm also not trying to advocate um, necessarily moves out of medicine, because I think the other thing that's changed um, since when, I was at med school, and then in my F1, F2, is that opportunity to create a hybrid career has become so much oh, yeah. more plausible and accepted, and it's it's fascinating because I mean I don't know that I would have left medicine if I was now in an F2 position because I possibly would have said, given everyone that I have managed to encounter, or let's say even through the doctor platform, we managed to interview a lot of doctors and entrepreneurs who who have stayed in medicine and said given all these people i'm exposed to have been so successful with hybrid career why should i leave because i have so much leverage as a clinician that continues to practice um now of course you have to make a decision that says i actually do quite enjoy some parts of my clinical day job but i just want variety um, and if that is the case then i think there's a big there's, a, there's there's like a lot to be said there's a lot to be said for that hybrid career um, but anyway for me i guess that you know probably what i did uh, worked out at that time because it wasn't really possible to do something like consulting and even now something like consulting is very possible with medicine but it wasn't back then so anyway I did that um, I did management consulting for a few years actually one of the four years I spent was outside of clinical sorry outside of medicine sorry I should say even healthcare um, and that was an interesting experience I went to a different consulting because I basically said I don't want to be pigeonholed as a medic who does healthcare um, so I went and did projects like with the BBC and with restaurant chain the cost coffee and oh, things cool like that and it it, so it sounds cool you know when i was about to go into the job i was telling my wife like, oh my god i'm so excited you know healthcare so boring i'm going to go work on things like yo sushi and not that we did that project you know <laughs> these really exciting restaurants that i'm always visiting it's like somehow all this stuff that i enjoy doing in my free time is going to become part of my job but I guess when i got there i realized that you know when you're slaving away on projects which are linked to businesses that are not necessarily directly creating any type of social impact it becomes a bit harder to find the motivation and um, you know I then compared that to the healthcare experiences And even if it was a private healthcare sector project I was working on you're still in some shape or form creating meaningful impact on people's lives because you know you could argue that private healthcare offers you things that public healthcare can't or when we're working on care homes projects like this stuff really means something to so many people um, and it was a bit harder to get that motivation with a project like uh, the Costa Coffee Run or whatever so of course there are ways of creating impact in every industry but I, I actually realized that I needed to be in healthcare that's where my leverage was but more importantly that's where my passion was and so nice. I think up until then I was doing things that were somewhat tactical or strategic sort of saying, oh well if I do this I can unlock the other the next thing in my career um, but then I think that a flick switched in my brain when I was exposed to Ada health because that was my first foray into digital health um and my first foray into a sort of so I guess a scale-up business and so I got into Ada health by serendipity which is the same way that basically everyone gets into digital health I think pretty much <laughs> absolutely yeah. you know, that I, time, knew, yeah. I knew exactly yeah so I knew Claire Noverol very well who is uh, the co-founder of Drpreneurs so through the Drpreneurs platform that I had helped build up with her which is sort of a a community of healthcare entrepreneurs, and we provide resources, education, opportunities, and insights for healthcare innovators, and predominantly via our website. So I got to know Claire through that, and then I was sort of speaking with her just as I was leaving consulting, and Ada Health, which is basically an AI-powered symptom assessment technology, um, and its Berlin headquarters the company, they were just about to launch their consumer-facing app um, in the UK, but then also starting to explore NHS opportunities. And so Claire sort of said, well, why don't you come on board and see what you can do for us with the NHS? So I basically jumped into a commercial role there. Um, and I guess given, because of my consulting background, I was able to land that type of role versus, let's say, a more clinical role that Claire possibly would have pushed me towards if I was coming straight out of medicine Um, and so that was the Ada health journey really and you know I could then dig into that further but it was absolutely a fascinating journey so I did that for three and a half years mostly in commercial roles but also bleeding into clinical evaluation and bleeding into product development as well Um, and then for the last six months I've been at record which is uh you, know, you probably haven't heard of record but you may have heard of their brands like neurofen and durex and strepsils so they basically sell a range of over-the-counter brands in the uk and beyond um and so i'm working in their digital health team which is a newly formed team and uh, so you know happy to share tales of of, of the challenges uh, around corporate innovation and also sort of commercializing digital health in the- all that good stuff. So, yeah, that's kind of more or less my journey. I guess one or two of the other things I've just been doing on the side to, to, to sum it all up is um, some lecturing in uh, sort of university courses, which is just something I find quite interesting. It's just nice to be able to interact with the new generation of medical students. Uh, and then also do a bit of work with London Business School because increasingly a lot of MBAs are getting quite interested in health tech. And I think it's nice to give them a perspective of what it's really like um, but before they may jump into it post MBA. So, some of that stuff uh, I've also been doing on the side. And then the only other thing I mentioned is sort of very recently took on a role as governor of Royal Free Hospital, which has been a really interesting experience and something that I would really recommend for anyone interested in health now. These things are always two way streets. So, of course, the idea is I contribute something to the Royal Free uh, with my experience, but a lot of it is also about the incredible learning that you can get. Say, how does a trust actually operate day to day? So, what the governors do is they hold the non executive directors to account. And, of course, the non executive directors then hold the exec board to account. So, quite unusual in the sense that you have this layer um that this layer that sits between the non-executives and and the executive board so it's a nice position to have um and it's meant to be sort of there to represent the community and things so yeah anyway i'll stop there so these are some of the things i've been up to
0: that's awesome man there's always there's always someone higher up isn't there you can get to ned and there's always there even even, <laughs> even then you've got a boss my goodness um so much cool stuff man and like i think as i said at the start you know you've you've had you've had various different vantage points within the health tech space similar to me you've sort of grown up with the health tech space in the health tech space we sort of got in at a time where you, you had to be really interested in it for one reason or another the the only reason i got interested in it was just because i was trying to solve problems in a hospital and it seemed that tech was the best way to do that because it didn't really have much tech in there and that's how i got interested in in i suppose the the technology side and then and then i've just stuck around and haven't really been able to get rid of me doing various different bits and bobs in the space, but I suppose in a similar way, you've you've done lots of different things in the space, and you've got lots of different things going on even now. I've seen Classpeak, and I've I, I've obviously I know the app, and I actually I think I wrote something in for Forbes yeah, you about have for
1: Forbes, yeah, yeah, you yeah about ADA, I yeah. did,
0: didn't I? That's why I know, yeah, that's why I know it. It could, i do a lot of due diligence when i write those articles, so i i know that business extremely well now um oh, very good
1: and we were very pleased to see that so yeah i mean every little bit of pr is so important well, when absolutely. you're a
0: sort of company of that size so. absolutely but you guys you know a the health it was as you say it was scaling up they you, were you part of it when they raised they raised a huge amount of money at one point um were, you, part, were yeah. you were you there yeah. at that point yeah i
1: was so that happened i think 3 or 4 months after i joined um yeah. so that was yes yeah 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 so just just after i joined
0: we had raised the that's money. that's awesome yeah. man so what what was that like then because i think there weren't a huge amount of startups around i mean there's a fair amount but not 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 an enormous amount and so it was always going to be you know, leaning on a personal relationship to get in, for example, and that side of things. But it must have been interesting for you. You you probably did have a look at other things that were going on, probably some smaller startups. And, you know, the likes of Ada, I suppose, already had a commercial model that was clear or that they certainly had a model that that led to them led to investors seeing value and all the rest of it i mean was it a decision to go to ada was were you looking at other things and sort of tell me about that ada experience from your role as sort of commercial which i think is quite interesting when it it, you know as it relates to health tech so in terms of sort of these
1: sort of things choosing how did i choose ada at least to start with and uh make that decision to join Ada versus anyone else so yeah I mean in terms of that it's uh yeah it's interesting you know if I'm being completely honest I did no diligence at all uh either (laughs) on so on Ada I did some diligence but what I didn't do is see what else was out there and I think that it was quite an instinctive decision and and so you know I think that some of the rationale for that probably even holds true now, even though the space has got a lot busier. So I think you could argue back then that, as you said, there weren't actually very many health tech companies that were sort of known about. Um, there's so many more now. But one thing that still holds true is if you've got a passion for the product, that's probably the number one um, that the, the number one reason to join a startup because there are a lot of tough days. There are a lot of days actually where you don't know if the lights will still be on in a few months' time and, and all that good stuff, which, you know, is just inevitable in the startup. And if you have passion for the product, it really helps you get through it because there's only so far you can go with a hard skill set in the startup versus the passion that allows you to think a bit differently, more innovatively about how to approach things. Um, and, and so for me, you know, when I saw the aid product, the UX, of course, is very slick, but it's also a very meaningful product an individual in terms of the democratization uh, of access to healthcare, which I think is a really powerful Thing that now you see a lot of tech companies in their different shape or form focusing on you could think about wikipedia is done a simpler thing for sort of information in general and so this idea of democratizing access to something is probably one of the greatest gifts that technology has given us and so I saw Ada really trying to push the boundaries with that in the healthcare space um, and you know of course personal relationships help so I had a very strong relationship with Claire and then also with Daniel um, and that is really big when you join a startup that you actually know the co-founders um, that you have proper conversations with them before you join. So I had a few conversations with them, What's the role going to be like? What are your aspirations as a company um, over the next few years and all those things? So, you know, it was much more due diligence of Ada. And, and the other big thing you do end up doing is doing a lot of Google searches. And actually, I think Ada was in a nice position where they had a decent amount of PR. And that helps because you say, OK, there's validation that's coming from a range of places here that are independent of a Um, about the technology about people about the the impact that this business could have on the world Uh, so those are basically the sorts of things that then compelled me to join Um, I think if I was doing it now I'd probably do more diligence uh, but you still have to make a somewhat instinctive decision when it's a startup because you're not going to have all the information in the world no point looking at Glassdoor and all those other things you know you just have to go a little bit on I love this product and I really like what the co-founders are saying.
0: I really like that advice and I think it it definitely appeals to those people like yourself that are impact-driven. That are that, that motivation is is a big deal. I remember when I wrote that article, it was because you guys had expanded into Africa and. I think it, that you put the app into like Swahili or it was it was Swahili, a language. So it was a Swahili, yeah, it was a new it was yeah. a new language. But I think it, it's a really interesting point. I'm in a lot of conversations at the moment about the democratization of healthcare and how practically that happens. And, you know, is digital health just safe for the for the wealthy? And there are so many examples of, well, actually, no, there's so many examples of, well, dare I say, a trickle down effect, but actually more the point that, the tech might be built in, in, you know, uh, high income countries, but can apply with perhaps a slightly different model to low income countries. And I think something like a, the health where it it definitely can apply is great because you can literally then uh, expand into Africa into a different language and all of a sudden add a heck of a lot of value, give incredible insights to people that are not medically trained by just arming them with that information. I think it is, it's a really interesting point. I think when it comes to hiring and it comes to building a team and it comes to doing those things in health tech, you're going to come across people that are so impact-driven that almost you need answers for that. You know, when it comes to the end of an interview and, you know, the, uh, the interview you get to ask questions, you know, I'm hearing from startups, a lot of that is about impact. A lot of that is about uh, the, the, you know, culture in the company, but also what, what the ambitions of the company are like, are we actually changing the world here or at least are we trying to? And I think that's so, it's so nice that we're we're blessed aren't we in health tech that so many companies are like that. Um, but yeah, it's not, it's it's nice to hear that you're similar to most guests on here, mate, that you're impact driven. Right. And I think that that seems to have governed your decision and, and that sort of due diligence on the company. Is extremely was extremely important to you, and I think is 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 important yeah, to everybody absolutely. else. I, I think it goes back to a previous point that you mentioned about you know you try, and, and I like your honesty about when you talked about doing things that weren't healthcare. That at the time you thought this was going to be really cool because it's not healthcare because because you know being a doctor and all that stuff. I've done that, and actually the other side of of, of not healthcare might actually be really cool but the realization that actually hold on a minute i'm struggling to get up in the morning and and you know make that company a bit richer because i'm not convinced on their impact on the world it's it's a nice bit of honesty that and i I think you know i fell into that trap as well just thinking that my life lay outside of healthcare and outside of medicine and all that stuff but so much of it that i missed that isn't actually cool to say you know i did miss being thanked by patients i did miss uh you know i missed (laughs) it's weird stuff like you know, when you're you're a medic, like you, you you transcend all of your own kind of hunger, thirst, tiredness for the benefit of others. And there's nothing like it. Yeah, it exhausts you at the time, but you sleep well. And it's 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 hard to do that for a <laughs> yeah. for a business person in healthcare, to be perfectly honest. But uh, yeah. rather than me using this as a therapy session, i tell me more about um well, they say, don't they, that uh that 2020 was just the year that everyone just used podcasts as their own therapy, and I definitely have been doing so. <laughs> um human interaction um the doctorpreneurs <laughs> is a cool project i want to talk about rb in a bit of detail um and a couple of the other bits but doctorpreneurs cool project that started a while ago right now doctorpreneurs yes yeah, so it started started
1: originally by claire by Claire Novel, who is who sort of the co-founder of ada health um back in 2012 so back then you know i think claire had just finished uh, her phd was doing her, her phd in um in Cambridge and getting very interested in entrepreneurship, but there was very little out there for doctors interested in entrepreneurship at that time. So she set up doctors and back then got some funding from I think, the Health Foundation to set it up originally. And, you know, it was a very novel and innovative idea at the time. And, um, you know, what happened then is a group of us in 2014 took it over from Claire because I think she got very busy with Ada Health um and so we have now continued to run it and try to sort of scale it down a little bit so it's manageable as a side gig for all of us um so the focus is basically it's a community of healthcare innovators started off mostly with clinicians in the uk but it's actually broadened out both geographically but also beyond clinicians because as you well know there's so many non-clinicians now interested in this space as well so what we do is just try and shine a light on on innovators, and it is typically doctors that we still focus on, but doctors who have been either intrapreneurs or entrepreneurs. Um, so, so, you know, certainly some of the NHS doctors that we've profiled have been creating really interesting things on the front line, which we do like to highlight. And I think that maybe gets highlighted a bit less often in other places, whereas the very exciting stories of people leaving and making it big do get um do get highlighted more and then we'll try and sort of set up we try and have a job opportunities board that we keep uh keep refreshed on a regular basis because you know sometimes it's that first move that you make in digital health that really opens it all up for you so it was the same for me with ada you know and you need sometimes a bit of luck or a bit of kind of awareness that that opportunity exists and and, you know linkedin is not something that's so easy to navigate these types of opportunities so you know those are the two main things that we do uh we used to run the startup school for at least a couple of years which i think was helpful to people sort of an in-person event but actually it just takes a lot of work so we have not continued that and uh we, we also did a podcast back in the day but you know i think we were talking before it's like seven is the magic number right you get over seven episodes and then you really uh starting to gain traction so we got to four and then and then we there just it is after it too much work so, <laughs> so yeah we, we tried a few different things uh, nice. but these are the things that have stuck so yeah and no, it's been a fun journey with dr Burns. and of course it really helps build the network up as well
0: yeah and that's cool like I yeah I, I remember it as one of the one, well it was the first the only sort of place for, for healthcare entrepreneurship value I remember it being that like i I couldn't find anything else and now there's things like the clinical entrepreneur program and there's, there's loads of other bits and bobs and accelerators well, it's blown
1: up now the space yeah which is yeah there's so, loads so, of stuff now, but... so, so many places to go so so we try to find our place complementarily with everyone else but it's very exciting to see the extent of resources that are now available to people and i think that very much correlates with the number of people moving into the space right in terms of yeah. med students so many med students who sort of engaged with entrepreneurs a few years ago who are now doing incredible things uh of, of their own uh, you know, through inspiration from communities like these, you know, it gives them the belief that they can do it. Yes.
0: And I suppose the flip side to the startup, the entrepreneurship with Drpreneurs is I suppose the th- the third big view uh, that, that you've got probably filling in, you know, most of the vantage points in the space, which is obviously the, the corporate side of things and what you're doing now with RB. So do you want to tell us a bit about that stuff?
1: Yeah, sure. So, 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 Reckon are, are, you know, I guess they called that, they're, they're, they're tradition, they're basically kind of a, uh, probably an FMCG type company at heart, which is fast moving consumer goods. So, a bit like Unilever or PepsiCo or Coca Cola. Um, but they do own a lot of healthcare brands. Um, so, you know, I mentioned that because that creates a challenge for then what I'm doing. So I have joined a digital health team, which sits within the R&D function. Um, the challenge, so, so basically the opportunity for us is to develop digital health solutions that accompany some of our physical products. So, you know, can we create some type of digital therapeutic, for example, that sits alongside Neurofen and helps to complement the Neurofen that you're taking for lower back. Oh, or let's take Gaviscon as an example. Are there digital therapeutics that can complement the acid reflux symptoms that you're addressing with Gaviscot. And in that way, creating, I guess, a more holistic approach to your treatment, but of course, from a commercial perspective, uh, increasing the amount of revenue that RB can generate from a particular disease area. The other part of what we're trying to do is sort of create build consumer relationships and loyalty through digital solutions because one of the challenges that both pharma and consumer healthcare companies have is you sell this product on the shelf um, and you then have no interaction with that patient at all um, and you know we are privileged are able to make that relation have a relationship because we're not a prescription product. So there are no rules stopping us from communicating with our consumers. But the reality is when you sell a physical product, you don't get any interaction. So if you can create some type of digital companion, and so an example here would be, I guess, a compliance or motivation type technology, which will help you help provide treatment reminders, help to encourage you to take your treatment each day, help you identify triggers that may be making your acid reflux worse or your lower back pain worse. And so the other category of innovations we're very focused on, apart from the digital therapeutics, is the sort of motivation and treatment compliance type approaches. The idea there is that you sort of build that relationship with the consumer. And of course, what that allows you to do is to gather data about the consumer and that real world evidence can then be very helpful in terms of new product development or in terms of sort of increasing or broadening the amount of claims that you can make about the impact of a product so you know that that's the kind of idea um, behind what we're trying to do and i'll be it's a relatively new team the reason i joined is because it was sort of something that they had only just started doing and for me i guess i'm nowadays tending towards opportunities where something is just newly built and there's an opportunity to create it and mold it and shape it as opposed to being told exactly what you need to do. And therefore, you obviously have to deal with a lot of ambiguity, but it also gives you the chance to be, put your stamp on something. And so it's a very exciting time in that way, RB. but you know, one of the challenges we face just to round this off is that, you know, as I said at the start, we are an FMCG company. And so we are very focused on sales and marketing and the, the, the ethos. Um, and it's the same at sort of Udine or other places is that in order to, to generate more revenue, we should just, put, we should just do more marketing. And, uh, hire more salespeople as opposed to hardcore innovation led product development and new products, which gen- then generate new revenue. Now, the interesting thing is since our new CEO has come in about a year ago, that mindset has very much shifted and therefore R and D as a team is becoming much bigger at RB. Um, there is a lot more focus on longer term bets. Um, on bigger bets, on white space bets. So maybe we would move into a brand new category uh, with a digital solution, um, such as, you know, mental health or whatever we might think about where we're not currently playing, but digital health could have a really interesting role to play. So yeah, it's an interesting time. But I think, you know, my experience probably mirrors that of a lot of people who work in the digital sector of any pharma company as well, whereby the challenges remain that how do you generate a meaningful amount of revenue from a digital solution to be to be taken seriously within a business that's usually generating billions of dollars from physical drug products at the moment. And that is a big challenge that we have. Um, And the only other last thing I'd say about RB, which is quite interesting is that sometimes it's the digital transformation aspect of, our team's work that is probably going to create the most value more immediately so by that i mean you know uh, how do you do clinical trials better how do you do drug discovery better And i know that this is a big area for where digital is creating value in pharma companies and probably the main area to be honest with you at rb we spend less time on clinical trials and drug discovery because we are more of a brand focus as opposed to sort of api or ad pharmaceutical ingredient focus because we're not a pharma company. But still, you know, we have a growing team that's focused on digital transformation of the jobs to be done. And so, you know, that's the other thing I'd say that when you think about digital in the context of of a big company, it is valuable to think about the transformation that digitizing processes can bring about as opposed to just thinking about digital product innovation because that's much harder to sell sometimes um, but both things require digital skills you don't always have to do the really exciting cutting-edge product innovation sometimes the transformation piece and yeah when I think about hospitals I think that when I was back at Ava back at you know what we were doing was really innovative and exciting yes but very challenging to bed that into a health system which is currently just fighting against some really more common really more basic challenges like around wi-fi infrastructure or around an electronic health record or around a slicker appointment booking system and, you know companies that focus in those areas i think have been actually more successful so far in the digital health space um so yeah that's just you know some, some thoughts on, on kind of digital the digital opportunity of digital in some of these companies
0: i yeah i, I what really resonates with me there is that you want to be part of something that's new. I think what is what sounds so exciting about that role is that for a company the size of RB, to then be part of the digital health department, so to speak, or however you guys define it, to be in at the ground floor with that amount of resource, with that amount of customer base already, with views on adding value to that group somehow with supplementary digital products, as well as, as you say, the innovation of changing systems to digitize them, to make them more efficient. It's interesting about how that value is then realized because my mind there goes to the notion that, you know, with a digital companion alongside your neurofen for your back pain, identifying triggers for your acid reflux, you know, that sort of stuff, you, you almost end up, in almost like a preventative model, but you're still commercializing it and adding value, which again becomes really interesting. Um, and I suppose that, yeah, there's there's so many of these lines to walk, right? And and how you actually get that done. And I suppose uh, relating to your commercial background and then thinking about that, it's, it seems like an ideal role for you, man, because it's like, it's pulling all of these different, it's it's leveraging your experience, it's leveraging your expertise, it's leveraging the previous roles that you've had to come together to bring it all Um to bring it all to the table, but I think you know you 're also still connected to the ground floor you know with your governor role and being part of the nhs trust and and seeing you know how all of this innovation might end up affecting patients in the flow of a hospital. It seems like you 've just got a really good view of the entire space and it's, it's by no accident that you end up with something like that. And I think you've done, you've done an incredible, jo- brave job with your career of, of taking bold steps and, you know, moving to jobs that, you, you know, you can appreciate when you're leveling off, I suppose, from the steep part of the learning curve and you move on to the next thing and you keep building, you keep growing. And I think it's a really good example of someone that's built a really solid career in the health tech space. And, yes, you've got your entrepreneur hat with you, with your doctorpreneurs. Um, project, but but you know, by your own admission, you don't want to scale up beyond what it is. It's providing you the value that you want and, and it allows you to do all these other things that you enjoy more. And I think that's, it's a notion. It's a, it's, it, that it, it, I think a lot of people, uh, in the health tech space sh- should take heed from, which is that you don't need to raise 10 million pounds and build a massive company to be involved in the health tech space. There are so many yeah. roles and organizations and, and things on offer for you to build a career, it does just take the odd bold step. Um, I suppose to, as you say, trust your gut and just move into something, but to take those risks early, I suppose in our, in our twenties, early thirties, like we are, like we have done and are doing, uh, I suppose is the time to do it. Um, although you do have a couple of dependents and all the rest of it now, but, um, yeah, I I think, I think you've done an awesome job, man. and, And it's, it's so, it's so interesting, exciting for me every time I hear about what you're up to with your career. Um, but I suppose for for, for, for to, before we finish um, have you got any kind of final thoughts or, or anything you want to impart to our audience before we let you go
1: yeah sure I mean you know I guess that there's the, so many different angles to this but but maybe a bit of insight some insights in terms of you know digital health commercialization because I think I've spent a lot of my last few years in and around that topic um, and it concerns me sometimes when I see some of the types of companies that crop up which are actually developing really exciting and interesting products but where is the business model that underlies it and you know when you talk about democratization democratizing access to healthcare, that's actually in of itself sometimes a challenging thing to monetize because by definition when you democratize something you're giving it to everyone and not worrying about how they would pay for it and there's some the tech companies are the definition of trying to democratize access to things, and they found different and interesting ways to monetize. Of course, they get rid of backlash and whatever for doing so. But at the end of the day, everyone's got to make money. So I guess the, one of the things that I would say is that you know try to identify. It's not always the most exciting innovations that are the ones that will be the most successful. And I guess I touched on this a bit earlier, but you know, first of all, truly understanding a system and a process is incredibly important if you want to start a business in an area Um, but then also being able to say well this specific process could be made slightly better if we tweak this or tweak that and actually digital could be a good way of tweaking this or that and in that way you create a slightly better way of doing things that is clearly and immediately valuable to an organisation, and doesn't require a leap of faith because it's not an, always necessarily an AI-driven thing, or it's not trying to completely replace what a doctor might do. And so, you know, of course, there are examples I could give, but but you know, as a general concept, people who study processes, let's say within a health system or a hospital and understand them very deeply and intimately and then say, how do we tweak them slightly or improve them a bit? And then apply that same principle to other processes that I think is is, is is a nice way. And then I guess, you know, what you wanna do is try and innovate in an area where you know that there's a budget attached to it. already. So I think one of the challenges we had at Ada Health is, and we continue to have is that there isn't a budget for AI symptom assessment. You know, at the end of the day, hospitals are reliant on google or friends talking to each other or people talking to doctors in the family to find out what might be wrong with them before they go and see a doctor right so that's not something hospitals are currently paying for so to then our tell doctors that system's broken and you need to you, we want you to pay for a better version of it it's like yes great from a care outcomes perspective but we were never paying for that beforehand so you know, then we are able to create value from a let's say we're funneling new patients and therefore generating new revenue for you. You know, you can't just use the argument that you're trying to improve care outcomes, especially in a system like the NHS, let's say, or any government health system which is very cash constrained. Um, so, so you know, I think you need to think very carefully about type of innovation you develop and whether there was likely to be a budget for that and does that budget go beyond a pilot budget or an innovation budget to an actual business unit who's then going to pick it up long term because the other thing that you know we found challenging Ada is that we often get stuck in pilot land Um, and to move beyond pilot land you need to have an actual business unit that's going to sort of pick up your technology and then fund it long term so you know are just a few thoughts that i have when you're sort of thinking either as a as a co-founder or Entrepreneur starting up something, or if you're already in a business, or you're thinking, should I join this business? It's like, will think about some of those things. Um, and, and and you know, as exciting as any company might be, they won't be around in a one or two years time if they haven't got a clear pathway to a business model. And I think you know, the end last thing I'd say is we, one should be careful of the VC money that's being thrown around actually in the space at the moment. And it's um, it has its positives, but a lot of negatives, whereby people get a false sense of security that just because they've picked up loads of users or because they've got really good UX for a product, they will be able to get lots of money. And therefore that validates what they're doing. But the validation really only comes five, six years down the line when the impact has been created and you are off the life support of VC money and you're still surviving. Um, and that's the bit that I think people really need to think about. I think very carefully before you take on VC money as well, because there's a lot of very successful businesses that haven't really had to take VC money on. And they're the ones who often may survive uh, the longest, uh, of course, if you want to build something really groundbreaking and unicorn-like or whatever, you might need to take on VC funding. But a lot of people don't need to. But I would say think twice before you take that money on as well. So, anyway, sorry, I sort of went off on a few tangents there, but yeah, I'll stop there.
0: Such good advice, mate. Last thing, if people want to get in touch with you, because you're dropping so many good nuggets of info here for future entrepreneurs, for people looking to to move into a new career. I mean, there's, there's so many elements that you can add value to people. And I know you enjoy the odd bit of teaching and all the rest of it. So for people that are interested in, in speaking to you for one thing or another, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm very happy. I'm, I'm, I'm regularly speaking to folks who sort of who I want to pick their brain or they want to pick my brain. You know, that's the only way that people grow. And every single job I had in my career beyond that first NHS gig was through contacts. So that's the only way, um, even in the biggest companies like RB, you know, that is the only way you can really get um, a role, especially in niche areas like digital health. So yeah, get, get in touch with me. Um, LinkedIn is probably the best way. So you can send me a message on there and I will make, make sure to respond. Um, I mean, my email address, v.verani, uk or doctors.org.uk so happy for you to share that with folks if they ask as well. Um but yeah, no very happy to be in touch with anyone that wants some advice in the space for sure.
0: Awesome. Fishal I know you've got to jump on another call. So thank you so much for your time mate and uh, we will catch up soon I'm sure.
1: Yeah absolutely it's been a pleasure James thanks so much and good luck with everything you do. Hey
0: everyone thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us, and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.